You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. So those of you who I've met in person or who've seen me speak in person know that I talk about the fact that I was not always very good with money, that when I got out of college, I made pretty much every mistake in the book from racking up a half a year's salary in credit card debt to blowing my first attempt at a 401k because I really just did not understand what it was. I mean, I was one of those people who didn't open my bills, let alone pay my bills. I am also the poster child for the fact that you can turn it around. If you want to turn it around, you have to make the decision to do it. You have to take steps in the right direction. It's not all going to go uphill. I still make mistakes with my money. I still am not always a poster child for financial success. But today on the show, we've, we've got Gabby Dunn on the line. Gabby's with us via Skype. She is the host of the very popular podcast, Bad with Money. She's got a YouTube show, a great YouTube show called Just Between Us. And her book, I Hate Everyone But You, it's available for pre-order on Amazon. Gabby, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. Back at you. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more of the backstory on yours. I mean, why did you decide ultimately to get so down and dirty about your relationship with money? Uh, well, on my YouTube channel, I'm sort of known as the person who talks about sex a lot. I'm very like sex positive and I talk about LGBT issues a lot. And um, so I was very comfortable doing that. And people would always say, oh, wow, how brave. It's so brave of you to to talk about sex like that. Uh, but that was always very easy for me. But in the meantime, I was hiding a lot of money problems and I was hiding a lot of credit card debt and financial issues and, and just financial illiteracy. And that's stuff that people in my life close to me kind of knew about. But I really sort of cracked one day and just told my boyfriend at the time and uh, and my comedy partner, Allison, the whole story. And then I realized that while I was being touted as brave for this honesty about sex stuff, I was hiding something that I was actually ashamed of. So in the first episode of the podcast, I go interview people at a coffee shop and I ask, um, what's your favorite sex position? And a lot of them are really too enthusiastic to answer me. Uh, and then uh, right after that, I say, well, how much money is in your bank account? And then all of a sudden I'm rude. And so that was really indicative to me. Like that's the thesis of the whole podcast 
is that people, uh, it's just money has become to me the, the new actual taboo in terms of stigma. I've been saying that for a long time. I mean, there are many, many people who would much rather talk about sex than would rather talk about money. People would rather talk right. about politics. They'd rather talk about religion. I mean, you know, money is the thing. And I think when you asked about the bank balance, you hit on probably the hardest question of all. I mean, I think people are very happy to talk about where they're getting great deals with money or mm -hmm. where they're getting the most frequent flyer rewards. But it's when they're vulnerable in whether they have more or less than somebody yes. else that getting it comes to into numbers. Play. Yeah. Yeah. Getting to numbers is the real issue. And some people were embarrassed because they uh, they didn't want to say that they had more money than their peers. Like they were sitting with their friends and they didn't want to say that they were well off. And then um, some people were embarrassed because they only had like a dollar in their account at that moment. So, so it was both sides. How has it changed your life and your handling of money to be so bold-faced about it? Well, it's eliminated a lot of embarrassment. Uh, I was really scared to ask questions. I was really scared to negotiate or to go into a bank and just go, I don't know what this is. Um, because I guessed that everyone around me did know and I was some sort of deficient idiot. And so now I've realized that uh, the complicated nature of the financial structures is on purpose. And it's, um, it's to keep you from asking the questions that could better your, your financial life. And it's to keep you from financial literacy. So there's a lot of systems in place that benefit off of you being ashamed. So, uh, to me, it's just been simple things like looking into stuff or researching the best interest rates or opening my mail, like opening my mail has been a big one. <laughs> uh, actually looking at what credit cards are better and not just like having the same credit card I got right out of college. I got something in the mail from Spectrum that was like, you can uh, pay less for your internet. And normally I would have just been like, this is a scam or something and thrown it away. But I actually like went down to the Spectrum store with the flyer and was like, okay, so what does this mean? How can I do this? And then they were like, oh, and, and I mean, I think like maybe they send out a hundred mailers and five people, two people actually go down to the store to be like, I would like this discount, please. But I've become that person. <laughs> but that's so great. I mean, I became that person because it was my job in some ways to become that person. Yeah, me too. When you're a personal finance journalist, you've got to ask all the questions. And I talk to, I have some younger reporters who work for me. And we have this discussion all the time about how if you don't understand the answer to the question, you just keep asking it. I do it still. You know, when I'm on a new story, when I'm on a different subject, I will sit there on the phone and I will say, but I don't understand. Because at this yes. point, I know if I don't understand it, nobody's going to understand it. Right. And that, and that's something that I think you learn as a journalist. But, um, for the average person, it's just really embarrassing to look, to look stupid or, I mean, look, they don't teach you any of this in school. There was no financial literacy class in high school. You're just like thrust into college or thrust into the real world expecting to understand how to write a check or what taxes are. Uh, and, and if you don't have parents who sat down and explained it to you or you're not industrious and look into it yourself, why would you know? And some of this is upbringing. I mean, you've talked about the fact that you spend like an addict because your dad used to be one. So take, yeah. take us back to growing up and what was that like and what did you learn from that? 
So my dad was an addict and alcoholic. Uh, he got sober for the final time when I was 17. So he's approaching 11 years. But um, And he talks about it freely. Uh, but he, he would say, as an addict, um, if it's not a bathtub full, I don't want it. And that's kind of the same thing that happens with money is that if you're not spending a ton, then it's not worth it. Or if you're not using it to feel better, like going shopping or using it to to self-care in all these kind of crazy ways, which you do need to do a bit, but um, then it's not worth it. So a lot of times I would get, I would be living paycheck to paycheck and then I would get a hundred bucks or something and my mindset would be oh cool a hundred bucks what can i spend this on rather than think like parsing out what i would do with that a hundred dollars uh and i i never personally have any issue with drugs or drinking but it kind of came through the addict behavior the impulsive behavior kind of i think came through in my dealings with money and my parents are that way too you know they their value experiences and they value comfort um, over long-term thinking. And I think a lot of, uh, people with addictive personalities also do that. They think about stuff in the immediate and they're not really into planning for the future. They've openly said they don't have retirement. They've openly talked about, um, blowing through money in a big way when I was a kid. And, uh, and so that's come up a lot between me and them now that I'm, uh, approaching 29. <laughs> well, I, I think that the kind of people who value the immediate rather than thinking about the future are the ones called humans. I mean, it's I know not all people do it to the same degree that it sounds like your parents have done it. But, you know, that's just the way we're wired. We're wired to appreciate the things that we get right now and mm -hmm. not even be able to comprehend those things that we can't see because they aren't going to happen until tomorrow, much less 30 years from now. I know. And my parents talked a lot about, you know, uh, well, you wanted to go to summer camp. So are we, were we supposed to tell you no? Or uh, we wanted, you know, to be able to send your sister to like a film program so that she could get into a better college. Like there's all these things that as a parent, it's tough to, I mean, I can't, I, I can't judge them because I'm, I don't have kids. No, I, I get it. I do have kids and I understand mm -hmm. it's really, really tough to say no to things that they want today because we have to put money away for tomorrow. What's your relationship like with money now that you've been doing the show for a while? I definitely think about it way more. I've become this person with just endless money books next to my bed. I hope some of them are mine. I don't have yours. Oh, I'll get it. Gonna I have, have to, we're gonna I have mean, to I'm get really. I'm really at personal finance for dummies, so, and I'm like become this person who think, I mean, I never thought about it because it was so stressful. It would make me cry. Uh, and now I've kind of become a person who that's like a lot of what I think about. And I think a lot more about where my money is going. So like I've started a, a SEP IRA and I've, uh, started thinking about, you know, like putting stuff into a savings account. And you know what's crazy is what immediately changes once you have some money is what you think of as a little money. Because when I was broke, if I had 50 bucks in my bank account, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like I'm good. Uh, but now I have a savings account, which I've been putting together for like a year. And if that savings account falls below 20K, mm -hmm. I'm like, well, I'm poor. I'm poor now. 
It's all Which, relative. And it happened so quickly. It happened so quickly. And I was the type of person who wouldn't like. It's also been weird to realize that once you have money, so, sometimes somehow you're spending more. So I blew through like six thousand dollars, and I was like, I would like three years ago, I, I wouldn't have done that. How did this happen? <laughs> I, I'm glad to hear that you've got a SEP IRA, and I want to talk to you about this whole shift in mindset with saving for the future, um, the long-term future. But before we get there, let me just remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments, and Fidelity is focused on helping women take charge of our financial lives because we deserve to live the lives that we work hard for. So Visit fidelity.com slash it's time. You'll find more conversations like this one with Gabby Dunn. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events, life's most challenging times, whether you're getting married or getting divorced or starting a new career or just trying to reboot. And again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. We are happy to be back with Gabby Dunn, host of the Bad With Money podcast. So when you started your retirement account, how did you, did you start making automatic contributions? I mean, that's what we tell people to do because you can make a good decision one time and just bank on it. Yeah, well, I've put in, I've so far I've just put in two lump sums. And that was because I got paid for certain projects and I was like, take this away from me. <laughs> like, make sure I can't touch this money. Just take it out of my sight. Uh huh. Um, and so that's what I've done because I think I have to protect myself from myself. <laughs> well, I think that's a really effective strategy, actually. I mean, one of my books and, and I will send it to you so that you don't have to, yeah. you don't have to say you don't have it on your nightstand. One of my books is money rules and it's just a book mm -hmm. of a hundred rules. And one of them is that if you can't see it and you can't touch it, you won't spend it. Right. And this is why yeah. 401k plans work. It's because we can't see the money. It's because it is taken from us to protect us from ourselves because, you know, like I was saying, human beings, we are impulsive creatures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is systemic. It's so hard to tell millennials to save for retirement when they are uh, you know, when they're living paycheck to paycheck and there's a lot of problems within the government in terms of having stuff for social, you know, having money left over for social security. That's a problem that I think a lot of young people are, uh, looking in the, into the future and seeing uh, some bleakness there. I have a tough time on my show parsing between telling people practical advice versus telling people, you know, that some of this stuff isn't their fault and that there's a lot of stuff going on at the top level that is uh, meant to destroy you. <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with you that it's not a lot of people's fault, but it's certainly not the fault of millennials who came out of college during this tough time to get jobs and watched their parents lose a lot of money in the financial crisis. I mean, it's not, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to do something to protect yourself, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer in controlling what we can control, and that, mm -hmm. that means saving something for tomorrow because that is something that we can do for ourselves, whereas I have absolutely no control. I believe Social Security will be around maybe in a slightly different form, but I have no control over that. You know, I can't wave a magic wand and make it appear or disappear. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the balance between uh, doing what works to protect yourself and also like 
calling the government and making sure the people that you vote for are, have stuff like have financial like reforms in mind and stuff. But also, but also like part of I have such a tough time on the show because part of me is just like burn it all to the ground. <laughs> and then like the other part of me is like and save some money for retirement. Well, when you're talking, I mean, you're, you you talk mostly to people in your age group, right? You talk mostly mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. millennials. So what do you find are the most effective things to say? I think you just have to uh, not gaslight them and be like, yes, your concerns are valid. Yes, it does seem like the government is not making this good for us and that a lot of personal finance uh, gurus are really like in it for themselves. And it's tough to take advice from someone who's going to leave giving that advice on a private jet uh, and stuff like that. So like you have to just make you have to be like, yeah, it is crazy. Um, but then you also have to have to say, so there's only so much you can do in that regard, uh, which you should do. But also on the other end, um, you need to be thinking about the future. I think a lot of especially in this political climate, I think a lot of young people that I'm friends with make these kind of flippant jokes like, well, we're all going to die. And I do it, too. I'm like, why would I save? It's going to be a nuclear winter next year, which is a funny joke. But you have to more than likely you will be alive. And so uh, you do have to at least look into it. You can't bury your head in the sand. You have to at least open your mail and at least go to your bank and see what the options are for a savings account and like ask questions and not be afraid to look dumb because if someone's like that's a stupid question then you go great it's a stupid question i'm still asking it so please answer i would guess that if you surveyed your listenership you're doing a lot more good than you think you know than you think you might be doing i mean you're 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 getting them to take some steps which is sort of what it's all about Thank you. Yeah. I mean, at least start thinking about it because I certainly didn't. I wasn't thinking about it at all. And I sort of felt like there was no recourse. But you're just young. And I think a lot of like companies and and when you go into your first job, I think you are sort of trying to lay low because you're like very scared of getting fired. But you're allowed to go to HR and ask questions. Absolutely. You should go to HR and ask questions. What's next for you? In life. In life. <laughs> in life. Broad question. What's next? I know the book is coming. You can pre-order it on Amazon. But what, what's, what's yeah. next? Uh, the, yeah, the novel comes out uh, that I wrote with my comedy partner uh, is available for pre-order on Amazon. It comes out September 5th. It's called I Hate Everyone But You. I'm hopefully going to be writing a Bad With Money book. Um, so I'm working on that. And which will be like, I think, more my journey of like I talked about on this show, like my journey of being uh, financially illiterate to knowing some stuff. And Allison and I are going to be at BookCon in New York City and at VidCon in Anaheim at the end of June. That sounds great. And and just sort of rate yourself for me on a scale of one to ten, where one is bad with money and ten is a pro. Where are you right now? A (laughs) 5.1. Excellent optimism. Love that. Gabby Dunn, thank you. Thank you so much. So Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hi, Kelly. Hello. So that was fun. It was fun. And I love that she started the first season by going back and answering the question, why am I the way that I am with money and looking at her parents' relationship with money. 
Yeah, you yeah. know, and she talks about how her parents were hippies mm-hmm. um, and very into the experience of living life. And I was thinking about my own parents. I guess, I, I mean, my parents were definitely not hippies, but we were in Wisconsin in the 1960s, so they could have <laughs> been hippies. And I, I wonder, I wonder, you know, I sort of wonder where that generational divide mm-hmm. was. Do you think you manage your money similarly to how you saw your parents manage money? I do, actually. My my parents were, yeah, they were really good savers. They were really goal-oriented. It was really, my dad was very, very focused on education. So, yeah, I do. Yeah, and this is my my dad's story to tell, but I know from what he saw growing up, it has turned him into a very, like, very much a super saver, mm-hmm. you would call him. So he uh, he's at the point where, like, you know, he... You want him to loosen up a little bit. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And I think he will. And my mom will, if he's not going to, my mom will force him to. I know that. But no, he's he's on that end of the spectrum. All right. We've got questions. Okay. Our first is a Facebook message from Wally. Wally is in a pickle. Wally is about to get $6,500 as a work bonus and wants your advice on what to do with it. Wally writes, I have a car loan debt that I would like to pay off, $8,000 at 4.5%. Do I pay it off along with 1500 from savings or should I put the entire amount into my Roth IRA? I just turned 50. I have my emergency savings and my home paid off. Hmm. So I was listening to the way that you read that question. We don't know if Wally is a man or a woman, do we? Nope. Hence Wally, Wally, Wally. Wally, Wally, Wally. Well, I have a good friend named Wally who Mm -hmm. is a woman. And so it's kind of like in my first job, my boss was a Michelle with one L. Mm. Um, I know, a little unusual. Mm -hmm. But now when I'm signing books or something and somebody says their name is Michelle, I'm always like one L or two because I was trained from a very early age that not all Michelles spell their name with two L's and not all Wally. Wally's are men. Yeah, Walisha is the full name, right? That's her name. That's her name. My but friend. not necessarily. All you never Wally's. know. You ne- you never know. And then there's Wally from the movie. That's, I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, here we go. Sorry, <laughs> Wally. Let me answer your question. Um, I probably would not pay off the car loan, and the reason is that four and a half percent is a pretty low interest rate, especially when you look at the amount of money that you could potentially make by investing the money in your retirement account. So I would I would likely just pay that car off over time, continue to drive it after you pay it off if you can, and then invest the money for your future, particularly if you feel like you've got a bit of a, a road to cover when it comes to retirement. Excellent. And we have an email from Andrea. My husband and I are both 30 years old. We both have decent jobs, put money in our employer 401ks, and have our 15-year mortgage and car loans as debt. I'm trying to build up our emergency fund, and I'm wondering what is the appropriate amount to have saved away, and where is the best place to put it? I've heard a range from three months to a year of your fixed expenses, but I'm not sure that's really considered necessary in this current economy. Is it better to place it in the normal savings account where it is most accessible or invested somewhere else? Huh. So emergency money really is for emergencies. And I get what you're saying, that in this economy where it seems like jobs are easier to come by, maybe you don't need a fully fleshed out emergency cushion. It sounds like you're checking off all the other boxes, however. So I probably would make sure that you've got at least three months because you've got two income earners in the family 
of fixed expenses in a liquid savings or money market account. Anything beyond that, you can go ahead and invest. Great. And our final question is an email from Kathy. Our homeowner's insurance went up 25% over last year. It seems to go up quite a bit each year, too. Is this normal? Okay. When should you start shopping around? Yesterday. Yikes. Yeah. We see this happen with both auto and homeowner's insurance policies that the prices just start to climb. You should be shopping around at least every year or so. And often shopping around and bundling your home and auto insurance together is what you need to do to get a really good price. If you like your carrier, get a quote from another carrier, call your carrier back and say, hey, I'm going to switch unless you can match this deal. Why would it go up that much? You know, this is how I've written about this and I will, we can post it on Mm. our, on our website, but this is how insurance companies sometimes make money. They just on their existing base of customers, increase the prices. Wow. It's like in a board meeting. They're like, yeah, let's just hike it up 25%. Well, I, <laughs> you know, sometimes there are sometimes there are reasons, right? If you've got an accident, yeah. Oh, if you have true. a car yeah. accident, if you filed a claim, those are typically reasons for that sort of increase. But I wouldn't sit for that. I would I would be shopping around right now. And you should know you don't have to wait for the end of your policy to shop around. You can shop around at any time, and they will give you the. Um, amount of the calendar year back that you have not used. Oh, that's really good to know. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Jean, and thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thank you, Kelly. And uh, on our Thrive segment today, we all know patience is a virtue, but it could also be the key to wealth and health, according to a new study from the National Bureau of Economic Research. This piece of research found that people who are patient tend to be richer and healthier than those who are impulsive. In fact, those who were even the slightest bit more impatient than others had less wealth. And when the researchers cross-examined the respondents' medical records, they found that impatient people were more likely to drink and smoke excessively and miss routine medical exams. Now, the experts still don't know if patience is something you're born with or if it's something that can be taught, but this study suggests it's a good idea to embrace the quality as much as you can. And if you're not a particularly patient person, as we were talking about with Gabby Dunn, the key is to just automate your way to good behavior. I I can't stress enough why it's so important to make a good decision just one time and then let it repeat, repeat, repeat. And I, I think you've you've learned to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're actually a very patient person, but um, I'm not necessarily a patient really? person. Yeah, I, think I you some, are. Sometimes I'm patient, and sometimes I want it right now. Sure. Which is, you know what? That's okay, though. I think. Oh, am I am I going to gender this? Can we say that women are more patient than men? Oh, I don't know. I mean, you can say it. I might. I I don't know. Something with motherhood, maybe I'm coming back to that. But I I think with work, you and I can both be impatient sometimes. But that's also the nature of our job where we need to get answers sometimes very quickly. By deadline. By deadline. We're deadline oriented. So, yeah, I'm not essentially patient in life either. Elliot is much more patient than I am, except when it comes to sports. But what do you... Goodness. (laughs) What do you think? Why do you think patience is the secret ingredient to 
long-term wealth. I mean, to me, I think that's Because it's all a focus on the future. future, I mean, we've been talking about this all show. It is all about our human inability to think about tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that is just something, you know, and some, some people are hardwired to be more patient than others. I mean, if you've never read about the marshmallow experiment, go Mm -hmm. back and read about Mm -hmm. the marshmallow experiment. These were little kids in a room who were asked if they could wait to eat a marshmallow. And some could, knowing that they would get a second marshmallow, and some could not. A lot of this is just baked in the cake, and you got to figure out a way around it. Anyway, thank you, Kelly. Thanks, everyone, as well, for joining me today on Her Money. Big shout-out to Gabby Dunn of Bad With Money for a terrific conversation. That was a lot of fun. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. Please leave us a review. And please drop by genechatsky.com and take our listenership survey. We want to know who you are and what you think. It won't take long, and it's very painless. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join me next time when we will be back with another terrific guest. We'll talk soon. 